Well, I know you are, but what am I? I remember in elementary school on the playground saying that phrase, you know, when someone would insult you, I'd look at them and say, well, I know you are, but what am I, right? It was a phrase that I think was uh, made famous by the iconic kids' TV show, Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse. You remember that? They, they brought it back to Netflix not all that long ago. I think my son thinks it's a new show. Um, but I remember watching that, and I remember saying that line all the time at school uh, on the playground. You know, we're often called names. Uh, we're often given labels at a very early age. And these labels, this identity that people try to, to push onto us has a way of uh, kind of carrying with us all the way through grade school uh, into, our, uh, into our adult lives. And, and more often those names, they're not positive names. You, you know what I'm talking about because some of you, you've been called them. And some of you, you've been carrying these names around for a long, long time. Names like fat or stupid or ugly or whore, worthless, faggot. You know, some people have been called names purely by the color of their own skin. And in those moments when people say these words, uh, deep down that little fourth grader in me on the playground wants to say, I know you are, but what am I? It's like this, this defense mechanism, right, that we all have. And, and the reason is because it still hurts. Those names still hurt. Those labels carry with carry the weight of this insecurity that we take into our adulthood because someone chose to label us, because someone chose to call us a name. I remember when uh, my late wife Jenna and I, we were uh, expecting our first child and we were trying to, to determine uh, baby names and we landed on uh, grace for a girl. And it's perhaps, uh, the concept of grace has perhaps been the most transformational uh, concept in my life. Uh, grace means an undeserved gift. And when I thought about my life, and I thought about where God has led me to, uh, I, I couldn't think of any uh, better name than uh, to name my firstborn grace as it simply means an undeserved gift. You know that when I look into the eyes of my daughter, I'm, remember, I, I'm reminded that God loves to give us good gifts. Gifts even when we don't deserve it. And I remind her often that that's what her name means. And my hope is that no matter what decisions she will make in life, she will never forget that God is always there just waiting for us to turn back to him and to rest in his love. That she will be reminded that it's not about how good she can be, it's about how perfect our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ is. Well, when we were pregnant with our second child, we named her Zoe. Zoe in the Bible means life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, I came that you may have life, Zoe, and Zoe, life to the full. And we sure named her, right? Because she is a, 
a bundle of life. I mean, she just, uh, you know, it just kind of pours out of her. And I remind her that it's only in Jesus Christ that we really ever truly begin to live, that we ever truly find life. Because the fact is, and as we get, uh, and as one becomes older, you know this to be true, that this world has a way of sucking the very life out of us, doesn't it? But it's not so with Jesus. Well, then there's our son, Nate, or as I like to refer to him as our only begotten son. That's uh, us preachers, we like to use old English. Um, You know, Nathan in the Bible means gift from God. But this, this got me thinking, you know, when our son Nate was born, there was mom and there was mom's boyfriend and there was the bio dad. He didn't want anything to do with him. And so when he was 10 months old, his mom's boyfriend hit him in the head with a bat and led to his uh, cerebral palsy and some other developmental issues. He was placed in the foster care system at two years old. He was adopted by another family. This family, the father, was abusive to everyone in the family. Came home one day uh, with a loaded gun, put it on the table, and told his wife, either shoot him or I'm leaving. She had a mental breakdown took him back to children and youth services and said, I can't handle it anymore. It got me thinking that this world has a way of stealing people's identities. People failed to see him as God's gift. Yet our God delights in our son for no other reason than he was created in his image for his pleasure. But life sure has a way of labeling people Vastly different from the way that God labels us. You know, I mean, just for the record, my name, Michael, it, it means one who is like God. Just, <laughs> just throwing that out there. It, it's, a, it's a pretty good name. It's a pretty good name. I can't say I got a bad label there, right? But, you know, there are these moments in our lives in which people label us these things and it's so easy for us to fall into this trap of believing that this is who we are, that we take these labels and, and we allow it to become our identity. And so when it comes to Zoe, I pray for those moments where life will try to suck the life out of her I hope she remembers where real life comes from and where where real life is found. And when people demand perfection in every area of life in order to be accepted, I pray that grace will remember that God loves us in spite of our imperfections and that God loves to give good gifts even when we don't deserve it. And the very best gift that he ever gave any of us was his one and only son who died on the cross that we may have a relationship with with God. You see, names and labels, they have a way of shaping our identity for better or for worse. But when you let God define your identity, this God who loves you with an unfailing love, it changes everything. In fact, you're finally free to actually love people the way God calls us to love. 
because you're finally secure in who you are in Christ and who you are as a person. In fact, the reason this world gives so many false labels, the reason this world tears people down so much is because they're insecure about who they are. Isn't that right? So I tell my kids when they go to school and, you know, people use names and label them. Say, it's, it's okay. They don't really believe that about you. They just don't feel good about themselves. So they have to tear you down so that they feel propped up. That's just, it's how it works, right? Listen, when you look anywhere else than God for your identity, you will live with big time insecurities. Because in our search to answer this question, who am I? We look for significance in our relationships. We call it codependency, right? Uh, have you ever met someone whose entire identity is wrapped up in their boyfriend or girlfriend or their spouse? Or perhaps we find our sole identity in uh, being a parent, being a mom or, or, or a dad. Or perhaps we look to a bottle, to find significance or to pills or uh, so many people today, they look to what they do, their profession. What they do is what gives them their significance. You see, you can't love others as is if you're not confident in who you are. And yet, This is where Satan wants to keep us. You realize Satan is the original identity thief. Identity theft, he created it. He loves to whisper in your ear, this is who you are. He says, look at your life now. Do you feel loved? Because here's the truth about God. He's he's way too restrictive. He's unfair. He's not fun. He doesn't care. He's a twisted person kind of being, but I'm telling you, you need to do whatever it is to fit in, to be accepted, because there's no way that God would actually love you the way you are right now. So if you're just joining us this morning, we're starting this new series that we're, we're calling, Who Are You? Finding Your Identity in Christ. And this series, it's really about taking a time out of just kind of stepping back for a moment and and trying to discern what does scripture say about who we are? What is the truth about who we are? Who does God say that I am as we sang about earlier? And we could really spend an entire year just kind of diving into who we are in Christ. But this morning I want to talk about just one name that God gives us because Well, to be honest, it's a little different, and it's certainly misunderstood. But this is the name saint. God says, you, if you are in Christ, you are a saint. In fact, this is, I would have to argue, the Apostle Paul's favorite way to address the church, as most of his letters were addressed to the saints. Check this out. Romans chapter 1, verse 7 says this, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Are you getting the point? Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. 2 Thessalonians 1.10, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day. Philemon chapter 1, verse 5, because I hear of your love of the faith which you had toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. You see, in fact, this word saint, it has to be really important for us. It has to be important for those who are in Christ, those who believe, because we are called saints 69 times in Scripture. You know what I found interesting as I looked into this? Is that you know how many times we're called Christians? Once. One time in Acts chapter 11. So the question we want to, the two questions we want to kind of deal with this morning is simply this, what is a saint? How does one become a saint? That's where we're going this morning. But being curious about this information that might be available on the subject, uh, I googled, all right, simply go, how does one become a saint? And if you Google, how does one become a saint, what you'll find, the, the, the answer to that question most likely is that you will find the Roman Catholic explanation uh, of what is a saint. The proce- and so the process by which the Catholic Church identifies someone as a saint is called canonization. And the Catholic Church has canonized uh, more than 3,000 people. Now, people used to become saints through public opinion, but in the 10th century, Pope John uh, XV decided it might be wise to develop a process uh, for identifying someone as a saint. And so over the years, this process has been kind of modified, revised. And so here's how one becomes a saint currently in the Roman Catholic Church, according to How Stuff Works website. All right. Um, First, a local bishop investigates the candidate's life and writings for evidence of heroic virtue. This information, the information uncovered by the bishop is then sent to the Vatican. Step two a panel of theologians and cardinals of the Congregation for Calls of Saints evaluates the candidate's life. Number three, if the panel approves, the Pope uh, claims that the candidate is venerable, which simply means this person is a role model of the Catholic virtues. Step four uh, is uh, towards sainthood is uh, beatification. Beatification allows a, a person to be honored by a particular group or region. Now, in order to, uh, to beatify a candidate, it must be shown that this person uh, is responsible uh, for uh, two uh, miracles. Two miracles. Martyrs who die for their religious cause, they kind of skip straight to the line. They, they don't have to prove that, uh, that, show any evidence of a miracle uh, because they died for their faith. So that automatically um, qualifies them. According to this, uh, step five, then in order for a candidate to be considered a saint, there must be proof, like I said, of a second uh, miracle. If there is, the person is canonized. Uh, 
And so you might be, begin to wonder then how many saints are there. Uh, if you Google that, you'll find there are over 10,000 named saints, but no real definitive headcount. And so uh, if you could tell through that whole process, I'm well on my way to becoming a saint, right? <laughs> I don't know how you feel about it, but, you know, I, I felt pretty good. I'm just kidding. But listen, there's something very important that I want us to note here uh, about this kind of saint. And it's simply this, that people had to earn it. People had to earn it. And other people make the determination whether or not you earned it. But the writers of the Bible, they talk about another kind of saint. Now, uh, as a minister, I'm pretty confident in my definition of what a saint is. But, uh, you know, if I were to ask you what comes to mind when I, I ask you what is a saint, uh, I'm curious what some of you would actually think. Because I imagine in my mind, if I asked you that question, maybe you think of some individual helping a, an, an elderly person a, a across the street, a boy scout maybe, a girl scout. Maybe you think of St. Patrick, maybe St. Nicholas, or someone similar to like a Mother Teresa figure. If you would have asked me in the fourth grade what a saint is, I would have told you a saint is a guy on a pro football uh, team that doesn't win very many games, right? Now, that's changed a little bit since the fourth grade. They, they win a little bit more, but let me ask you this. Have you ever considered yourself a saint, has that even crossed your mind? Like, we, we don't really use that word that much. Have you ever thought about yourself as a saint? Because the truth is, everyone who follows Christ, everyone who is in Christ, is a saint. The word in scripture for saints, the Greek word, hagas, and it means consecrated to God. In other words, you and I, as followers of Christ, we've been set apart for a sacred purpose. So if saint means set apart, then what do I need to do to become a saint? That's the question. If I want to be a saint, I mean, should I just keep to myself? Should I not associate with anybody? Well, for many people, that is their plan of sainthood. That's how they understand the word saint. But as followers of Christ, we're not given the luxury of just, you know, staying in our own private little worlds. God commanded his saints to take his love to all people everywhere. So being a saint, it doesn't give us permission to isolate ourselves from the people of this world. Have you ever heard of David Blaine? He's this... Uh, Pretty incredible illusionist. He, he's done some pretty crazy illusions. A, a little creepy, right? But uh, he's the guy that buried himself alive under the sidewalk there in New York City back in 1999. And he, he, uh, he was on the Oprah show for, uh, you know, putting himself in an ice cube the following year, if you remember that. Well, if, uh, several years ago, he did something that I found to be pretty interesting, but it was first done by a saint. In 2002, David Blaine spent 35 hours on top of a 90-foot pole. He got the idea uh, for the stunt from a man known as Saint Simeon. 
Simeon was a monk who lived as a hermit in the early 400s. He did some pretty uh, amazing things after he became a monk. For instance, he memorized the entire book of Psalm. That's, that, that's pretty impressive. And that, that, that's a lot of memorization. I don't even think I could do that. It's just so intimidating to me to think about that. And so he, he did some pretty amazing things until he felt the Lord's call to live on a 10-foot high pillar. He did that for four years until he said he felt the Lord's call uh, to, to live on um, a 65-foot pillar, which he did uh, the remaining 30 years of his life. Nothing could bring Simeon down from that perch. At night, he chained himself to the pole, make sure he wouldn't fall off uh, when he slept. And, you know, high in this tower, high above the ground, far above everyone else, he would preach to the people below twice a day. He'd offer prayers, answer letters he'd received from all over the world. And for that, Simon uh, was given the title, uh, Simeon was given the title of saint. And so he lived on a pole for more than 30 years to be holy and to live above the world to get this title. Yet a real saint, a Christian, who lives a life set apart, doesn't live their life apart from the world, but lives their life for God. That's why John, uh, Jesus Uh, prayed in John 17. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but you keep them from the evil one. You see, the apostle Paul clearly taught that saint did not mean set apart from the world when he said in Philippians chapter four, verse 22, he said, all the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Now wait, there are saints in Caesar's household? How could there be saints in Caesar's household if the definition of saint means that we are to isolate ourselves from those in the world? You see, it's not possible. You see, the the Bible declares that there is another kind of saint. And there there, there are two key differences between what we'll call biblical saints and church saints today. Two key differences. And the first one is simply that biblical saints do not earn their sainthood. They can't earn it. And second, biblical saints are declared saints by God, not by other people. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It's saying that at one time we were all sinners. Check out verse 4. But... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in the kindness in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, scripture says that we move from sinner to saint. That's the progression. We move from a sinner to a saint. 
when we make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of our lives. Paul says you can't earn it. It's not about works. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did on the cross for us. And when you are in Christ and Christ is in you, and when Christ is in you, your whole life should reflect that you have been set apart for a special purpose by God. The sinner title is not who you are anymore. You are no longer a sinner. You have been justified. You are righteous in his sight. You are a saint. And because what Christ has done for me and because what Christ has done for you, we are to be motivated not out of obligation, not out of guilt, but motivated out of a gratitude to be used by God for his special purposes. We are done with the old, done with the dark. We've been set apart for God's exclusive use. That's who you are in Christ. You are a saint. You know, several years ago now, uh, we went to court for Nate's adoption. And there there was a time near the end of the hearing when the judge declared that from this time forward, Nate would no longer go by his old name, Nathaniel Eltman. And with that transaction, with the slamming down of that gavel, everything changed for Nate. He now stands as an equal child in the Russell family with all the same rights and privileges of all the other children. That's what happens to us when we become part of God's family. We're no longer defined by our past. We're no longer viewed by God as sinners, but as saints. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You know, long before God ever said, don't do that, he said, that's not who you are. It's not who you are. The transaction took place between God the Father and you because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ when you made him Lord and Savior of your life. An offer of grace was extended and your identity has changed. You are a saint. Your past no longer defines you. It no longer defines you. You pray with me. Oh Lord, we we come to you, Lord, just so grateful for the grace that you give to us. Lord, that while we were still sinners, you came and lived among us. You laid your life down on a cross to provide a way back to you. To take these labels that maybe we've created for ourselves and labels that other people have given us and to wipe them away, to clean the slate. 
that we may be saints in your household. Lord, for that we are eternally grateful. And Lord, my prayer right, my prayer right now is, uh, Lord, for those who are here, who maybe have been carrying a label, a name that they've been given maybe years ago, and they've been holding on to that for far too long. Lord, my prayer is that today they can lay that down, that they can come to you in faith, with repentance, to be baptized into you, and to take up this identity that you give to all those who are in Christ as saints in your very household. We love you, Lord. We ask all this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.